are the sultans of swing, fairly elected. How did Prince Philip's bladder become so infected? Despite the fact that most of the world seems to be very happily frotting itself silly reading Fifty Shades of Grey, not everybody is very happy about this book, which we, of course, discussed last week in Answer Me This. Memorably. Kyle contacted us via Twitter to say, Your recent dissection of Fifty Shades of Grey came at the worst possible time. My mum is reading it. <laughs> My mum is reading porn. What a, what a 21st century take this is on the traditional thing of the uh, parent discovering their child watching <laughs> porn. <laughs> Don't worry, Kyle. The important thing is to recognise your mum is just being naturally curious. It's just a phase, Kyle. Soon she'll hit the menopause and she won't want to touch herself. <laughs> yeah. Don't make her feel embarrassed by discussing the subject awkwardly. In a public forum. Yeah, maybe take her out for a burger and see if you can bring it up in a natural way. Well, the sense of it, he's going to be bringing up the burger in a natural way after this conversation. <laughs> Well, this is a sort of related question from Gary from Air, who says, I've just finished watching the series finale of Game of Thrones. Well done, you. I don't have Sky Atlantic, so I've never seen it. Yeah, I'm a bit pissed off about that now, because they're going to have those Partridge specials on there as well. Oh, what? They've got everything. I they know. have Mad Men. I know that's kind of the point of Sky Atlantic, isn't it? Is to make people like us, who would never have paid for Sky Atlantic, or been, been that bothered about not having it, really want it. Did you say Sky Atlantis? I did, yeah. <laughs> What did that show on it? Just deep water fishing. <laughs> well, anyway, Gary continues. Uh, whilst Game of Thrones is rather rip-roaring, riveting telly, uh, the gratuitous nudity makes it uncomfortable family viewing. Oh, whereas the violence, absolutely fine. That's right, yep. Uh, the same was true, he says, of Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, you're just showing off about your Sky Atlantic subscription now. Uh, and the Tudors. I don't want to see the Tudors, so not bothered. I saw a bit of the Tudors. It's a nice idea, isn't it? Let's reinvent the perception of Henry VIII. That's one completely inaccurate. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Gary continues, uh, Helen, answer me this. Have you ever watched a film or TV series and thought, I'm enjoying the acting, I'm following the narrative, the direction's fine, but this scene could do with the actress losing her blouse and or pantaloons? I do actually think this, but I don't think in the way he's inferring whereby you would think what this is lacking is gratuitous sex scenes. What I'm talking about is when there is a sex scene and they're keeping clothes on completely unrealistic way. And it's not that I want to see their parts. It's just yeah. by them, say Christian Wig and Bridesmaids, I don't want to see her boobs. But by her keeping her bra on in quite a rampant sex scene, you're just thinking that must mean that Christian Wig did not sign a contract saying mm. she would show her boobs. You don't think the character has naturally kept her bra on because they're in such a hurry yeah, to get but to you, it. You would, but if you saw Kristen Wiig's boobs, you would think, oh, those are Kristen Wiig's boobs, not the character's well, boobs. I, I thought they could probably cover them with bedding or limbs. The thing is, when I was about 14, I probably would have liked every film to have more sex in it. Yeah. Like, when I was 14, my favourite film was True Lies. And I like mm. that because in between the bombs and the Islamophobia, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis doing a striptease for no reason at all. <laughs> yeah. And I think probably at that age, I would have quite liked... Like all romantic comedies to have actual sort of hardcore penetrative sex in the middle of them. I would have thought that would have been perfect. I just think sliding doors would not be the same if it was a man's dick getting stuck in a tube tray. Well, this is the sliding doors moment. Does he jizz on on her face or on her stomach? Yeah, well, I agree. That would be a different film, but that's the film I would have liked to have seen. Whereas now, I agree, it takes you out of it. Well, here's a question from Maria in Norwich who says, I'm wondering what to do for my 21st birthday in six months. Send out the save the dates now. Yeah, not too previous. Bloody hell, Maria. You're not the most important person in the world. (laughs) 
my friend Nick is going to be 40 later this year and uh, he wanted to send the Save the Dates out a year before. Oh, come on, we're all going to be 40 at some point. We're all going to die. But I'm you don't w- need to think about it until a few weeks before, surely. I'm already saving the date for his 50th. <laughs> Actually, can you save the date for my 50th, Helen? Because I would like you to be there. Thanks, Ollie. That's 12th sweet. 12th of May, 2031. Yeah. yeah. Put it in the diary. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it'd be lovely to have a reunion then because, of course, by then we won't have been speaking for several years. <laughs> That's right. Maria says, I was thinking about going to a murder mystery event. But after a bit of investigation... What are you, Poirot? <laughs> I've found out that it's pretty expensive. However, I've seen kits that you can buy to host your own murder mystery, but I'm not sure it would be very good. You can get those at charity shops, and I'll tell you why, because they're only good enough to play once. But anyway, Ollie, answer me this. Should I host a murder mystery for my 21st? Actually, I think if the idea of a murder mystery appeals to you, then yes, you probably should. If you, if you think it's a good idea. Uh, I mean, it's an acquired taste, and it's not for everyone, and you can tell by the fact that Helen's making the noise of a cow there that she doesn't think it's a good idea. You, know, you would think that I would like them, because I love a detective thingy, mm. but there isn't that much suspense if you haven't done it then there's not any real reason to lie although you might think it's a really good way to bring together strangers what it actually means is no one actually talks about who they are or what they like or what yeah. they're yeah, interested but I, in that, that's what appeals to me about it i'd prefer to talk to most people about a fake job but the thing is you get to two hours into the evening the murder is revealed and you go okay the murder mystery party is over we Let's can just have, have a party but like you've been around with people for three hours and you don't even really know what their names are it just doesn't work really and also if you've got more than about 12 people um, it's too many because in in the kits they don't really write that many characters and also the kits show that it's actually really hard to put together a good whodunit yes I mean the, the thing mm. that I don't like about the kits is that they're often just very crude aren't they like the characters oh, are filthy like, no 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 but it's, <laughs> no I mean they, it's an adult game like crass yeah. or like, hello I'm Marilyn Monmore I'm an actress <laughs> that kind of thing you know yeah. hello I'm Sir Eatalotta Cookies I'm the local biscuit magnate and it's just like oh for fuck's sake yeah. why don't you give me a good like Agatha Christie type who because they're it? very hard to do it's better to have a really good game of hide and seek than do one of these <laughs> hi Helen Ollie it's Joel from Southampton but living in Kent Helen Ollie answer me this what was the world's first card trick? In brief, uh, card tricks probably evolved out of people cheating at cards. And um, mm. it was usually kind of street magic type stuff until uh, the latter half of the 18th century where the most famous magician of the time, uh, Joseph Pinetti, born Giuseppe Pinetti, but known as Joseph, uh, he did um, a lot of card tricks in grandiose theatrical settings. So he's sort of credited with being the father of modern card trickery but why would cards be good for a grandiose theatrical setting because they're better for close-up magic aren't they grandiose yeah. theatrical setting better doing david copperfield type tricks aren't you or maybe his uh, set of cards was massive <laughs> i always feel faintly harassed by magicians especially if you're in a place where they're doing close-up magic going table to table have you oh. never had this and you're like you're no, on the i t- don't go to such places yeah but if you're at a wedding and they're doing it i've never been to a wedding where they've that. had magic no because usually the weddings i go to they have a wedding going on so you don't need additional entertainment yeah, well, <laughs> i agree with you but i have been to those weddings did they have a puppet show as well well, no. Does anyone have clowns at their wedding? <laughs> Just to freak out half the guests. Um, and it's that thing of when they're on the table next to you and you hear the patter then. And then you hear the bit where he does the thing where he produces the watch from inside his jacket and everyone claps and goes, hey. And then he comes to your table and you're like, I know exactly what you're going to do. I've just heard you do it on the last table. Mm. Well, I know why you're uncomfortable with that, Ollie, because you naturally are averse to audience participation, as am I. That's true. Even though we do this audience interactive show, it's not the same as when you're being picked on at the pantomime because yeah. you're sitting in the front. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that's true. I I do sit the whole way through theatre where they come down into the stalls and try and get the audience involved just with my uh, bum on my hands, basically. With your bum on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting on my hands was the image oh, I was going no. through. <laughs> I didn't, didn't literally mean that I'm fingering myself in the children's show. <laughs> <laughs> I was that I was trying to be, you know, restrained. And that's why they sell those giant foam hands at the probably <laughs> I had a Gordon the Gopher card set when I was a kid. Did you? Yeah. That's cool. It was kind of cool, actually, Helen. Yes, thank you for finally recognising that. You're a cool guy. I was. I was really cool. Why did no one notice at the time? You could have got Philip Schofield to sign every one of those cards. I could have, yeah, but I threw them away by the time I ever no! met Philip Schofield. I've got a pack of cards uh, with, with some dirty pictures on from the 50s that were my granddad's. That's brilliant. Yeah. Although you realise your granddad probably did have a wank over those. Look, you can still shuffle them, so... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the um, porn on cards thing actually was a way of hiding the pornography in an, an innocent-looking thing. If you have a look at a Gideon's Bible from 1955, <laughs> woo, steamy! If you've got a question, email your question to answer this podcast Okay, we've got some good news for those of you who hate Apple. As in the computing? Yeah, rather than the fruit. Yeah, or Gwyneth Paltrow's daughter. That's right. (laughs) That'd be really harsh. She's only about eight, leave her alone. She's a real cunt. (laughs) Probably will turn out to be a bit of a bitch. Stop it. Um, Those of you who hate Apple, the computer company, which we don't, but if you do, uh, and you've written to us and you've said, why can't I buy your Jubilee album not on iTunes? Why can't you put it somewhere else? I don't want to use iTunes. Well, now you can. You can give some money to a different American corporation because the Answer Me This Jubilee album is now also on Amazon. And it's good that the Jubilee album is finally available over a week after probably anybody cared about the Jubilee. Yeah. But nonetheless, like not the, the questions in that album, they're not just about the Jubilee, they're about the royal family. Yeah, for as long as the monarchy stands, that exactly. album will be relevant. And then after the monarchy has fallen, that album will be an interesting time capsule. It'll be a monument, mm. won't it? Like the Victoria Monument. People will be performing yes. around it in 100 years' time at a special concert. Um, anyway, the links to the version of the album on Amazon, as well as the iTunes links, is uh, on our albums page on our website so please head there thank you very much and uh, in the meantime we have this question sort of about the Jubilee well uh, inspired by the Jubilee inspired by the Jubilee as we all were uh, it's from <laughs> to Jenny. bring out the BBC and complain <laughs> <laughs> it's from Jenny from Gainsborough who says Helen answer me this how did the system of associating materials with years come about i.e. 25 years for a silver jubilee and 50 years for a golden jubilee etc so this applies to sort of marriages as well doesn't yeah, it yeah well just... i think i think they got it from mm. from marriages it uh, originated in uh, probably medieval germany because it was a tradition that if a couple had been married for 25 years then um, you brought them gifts of uh, silver wealth to celebrate the good fortune that had attended them for those 25 years mm. and the same on the 50th the wealth of gold and uh, the rest of them were, were irrelevant and then do you think the rest were irrelevant because no one ever lived that long so you could say oh yeah it's diamond at 60 because no one ever had a 60 year marriage really no one lived till 85 <laughs> well diamond used to be 75 and then for queen victoria they lowered it to oh, 60 okay, because they thought realistically no monarch is going to be celebrating the diamond jubilee if we leave it at 75 yeah and actually if anyone has some diamonds to show off it's queen victoria yeah yeah although she was probably just wearing jet morning jewelry as she did for (laughs) most of her life after albert died um but what i mean is the anniversaries in between 25th and 50th or even just any of them yeah was the american national retail jeweler association now known as jewelers of america um in 1937 
they introduced an extended list of gifts. So extended list of things you could buy through their outposts mm. to celebrate anniversaries. Although it's Martin's my 10th anniversary earlier this year, and that is tin. And are you going to do anything for that? Maybe buy each other a DVD of The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> we watched Pushing Tin. Pushing Tin, okay, nice. We had a weekend of eating lots of nice food. <laughs> yeah, lots of uh, nice tinned food. <laughs> One of them is really shit, isn't it? Is it paper? Paper's paper, water, yeah. Paper, cotton. Ugh. This is rubbish, though. You know that uh, gold is 50th, right? Yes. And 60th is diamond. Yes. 75th is gold and diamond. That water cop out that is. Yeah, it's true. It doesn't even mathematically make sense, does it? No. Because that should be your hundred and tenth anniversary. Yeah, so it's a biggie, everybody. <laughs> Here's a question from Simon from Hull who says, Helen answer me this. Why do newsreaders always have to tell people what their name is? They don't want to maintain mystery anymore, do they? <laughs> Martin's chuckling at the inanity of this question. I understand what he means because he's not saying why does Fiona Bruce say hello I'm Fiona Bruce because she's about to anchor a half hour programme what he means is in a radio news bulletin where someone's on for two minutes unless they've got a really funny name like Fenella Fudge what's the point of them saying hello I'm Ollie Man because ultimately who cares you tuned in to the Steve Wright show you haven't tuned in for the newscaster some people might tune in for Sally Traffic no well they might yeah in her case because she's obviously got some really weird men who like to be dominated who listen to her okay one (laughs) one some people might not care about the specific person but they want to know that it is a person and therefore someone who is blameable if things go wrong possibly two some people might care they might think oh I trust that newsreader three the newsreader might want to be recognised yes. for their work yes, it's, I think like, that's really what's it's like watching TV credits going I personally don't care about any of these people but mm. other people do care and they want their work recognised someone somewhere cares you just got to accept listeners other people care about things you don't care about it's for right, instance yeah. I might think why do they bother having branches of bookies or dry cleaners or <laughs> showing football yeah. but it's because yeah. those aren't my interests that's right yeah. and you might think why do they bother making cotton printed fabric where do you stand on the whole thing of shrinking the TV credits down to the tiny corner in the uh, in the side of the screen and then running a promo in the two thirds of the screen because well, that seems to, that seems like the worst of both worlds. Yeah. Just disrespecting the people, yeah, yeah I'm and sure, you're not really giving a proper promo. I'm sure Charlie Booker's talked about that. How much it annoys him. Mm. I'm pretty sure that in America, though, I've actually seen the credits for the previous show running over the beginning of the new show. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's just silly. It's it too much insane, rushing. There's enough time in the world <laughs> to let the credits breathe. Here's another question about the entertainment industry from Ellie from Bangor, Northern Ireland, but in Golders Green, who says, I've applied for a job in the TV subtitling sector. Wow. I've, I've loved having subtitles on whilst watching TV for as long as I can remember. It's good to have a passion. Yeah. Ollie, answer me this. Have you any tips, factoids, subtitles, related gems, pearls of wisdom, or further insight into the world of TV subtitling (laughs) that I should know and could dazzle my interviewer with? Goodness. I might love subtitles, but I don't actually know much about them. Right. Well, uh, I'll try my best. I don't think an interviewer who is looking for a subtitler wants to be dazzled with facts about the industry (laughs) they themselves work in. They want somebody who can type fast and accurately. Ah, well interesting you should say that Helen because that is a misconception no well it depends whether you're doing live subtitling or not live correct if it's live 70 words per minute or more no no no. it is a misconception about live subtitling it is in fact only on pre-recorded subtitling nowadays that they tend to use typist stenographers on live broadcasting actually now the modern way with subtitling they have someone wearing headphones listening Mm. to the speech as it comes out and then what they do is they speak it into a speech recognition software package oh that explains why there are so many uh, wrong words now then in the subtitles because the speech recognition software package is a bit fallible anyway Uh if it was translating what was actually going out on the screen that would be problematic 
it so it, it, it they have a special person who can command the you know that it's learnt the voice of and they read the words in their sort of soft neutral tones and they try their best to match up as many words as they can but if one goes out wrong like if, if you get two yeah. instead well, of T-double-O, yeah exactly there's not much you can do about that basically but the job is actually talking into a machine rather than typing now okay although my friend claire admittedly this was a while ago but she went on a date with a subtitler at a news channel and he said that there were two subtitlers working simultaneously for the live news stream so mm-hmm. they took every other sentence so they were typing, were they? They were right. typing, right. but that was okay. 2003, so maybe the industry has moved on a lot. It has actually, in fact, because the BBC set a deadline. I can't believe I've learned this today. Dazzling pearls of wisdom <laughs> facts! The BBC set a deadline of, I think it was 2008, that by then 100% of their programming would be subtitled. Mm-hmm. And they were the first broadcaster in the world to do that. And to meet that deadline, uh, they had to innovate all this stuff, basically. We have subtitles to thank for the BBC News website now. See facts. Mm-hmm originated as a service for the hard of hearing. Oh, good. They invented CFAX because they were working on a system for deaf viewers at the time, Mm -hmm. in in whatever it was, the 50s or 60s on the BBC. The whole idea of the BBC doing anything other than video and audio came out of the fact that they had CFAX and so they had like a wire news service, which then became the website. I've got another sort of uh, subtitle-ish fact. Okay, I've got one too. Claire's date with the subtitler went really badly. He was vile, even though on email he promised so much. Oh no, what did he do wrong? Well, they had a kind of picnic date where they'd promised to bring each other lunches. They'd discussed already what their favourite sandwiches were and she'd gone to a lot of trouble to get make him a really nice sandwich oh, and then no. he just got did a he... crappy packet sandwich. Did he? Yeah. What a dick. <laughs> Maybe he was busy and that's all he had time well, to do. At least go to a nice shop to buy a packet sandwich. The thing is actually you're never too busy to go and buy some bread and some sandwich ingredients are you? Even in your lunch break from the yeah, local Tesco. It's better to go to, and buy a baguette and some yeah, hummus yeah. and crudite. Yeah. Buy some crudite you subtitling wanker. <laughs> if you want to impress a girl tiny <laughs> sticks of celery. I'm an Antimedus fan I listen with my nan She is not so keen She finds it too obscene I follow them on Twitter Though Ashton Kutcher's fitter I want to take things further Just one step short of murder I want to look like Ollie Man I want to smell like Ollie Man I want to be like Ollie Man I want to chase like Ollie Man We've had a few people complain that they don't like the musical interludes on our Idiots. podcast, to which I say, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they don't just serve as a respite from us talking. They also convey valuable information they act as mnemonics. Yes. For instance, we've had this email from Kate who says, for years, I've had trouble remembering my home phone number, but recently realised that the last four digits... Five eight double seven are the same as yours. Oh, that's brilliant! Now mm. I sing my phone number to the answer me this jingle <laughs> and have no trouble remembering it whenever a nice man asks for my number. Does she also uh, do her email address to our song? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, if you want to set your own telephone number to a jaunty bit of music, here's the tune and here's our number two. Oh two oh eight one two you can also Skype us at Answer Me This. There's no tune for that. You just have to remember with your brain. Hi, Helen and Ollie. It's Lawrence from Reading. I'm in a shop and I just watched a baby, well, a toddler of about two, break a china pot. Um, his mother just told him to, you know, tidy it up and put it back on the shelf and then she left very hurriedly. Answer Me This. Should I have told the shop assistant? 
the baby was very cute, and his mother was wearing um, an M&S worker's hoodie, so maybe she couldn't afford to pay it. What a soft heart he has for a cute baby and a mother who may be tired after a long day at the M&S coalface. I disagree, Helen. I think this is outrageous. I think, Lawrence, you should be calling Crime Watch with this information. You've seen a baby break a pot. Was there a notice up saying all breakages must be paid for? Because if there was, that's watertight and absolutely cannot be violated. You're probably going to go down for being an accomplice. <laughs> I often unintentionally bash into people where I'm wearing my backpack on the tube. Unintentionally. Sometimes you wear wing mirrors on your face just so you can see the looks of pain. Uh, and that underlines my lack of spatial awareness. And so when I go into a china shop, I try very much not to because I am like the proverbial bull. I've often wondered whether if I did knock something off, whether I'd maybe haggle about the price... Because don't you only really owe them the cost price? I know that they could get the sale price from yeah. someone, but why should they make a profit on you breaking it? Like, I, I could agree you could maybe meet in the middle and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to cause you inconvenience, you're going to have to order another one. That's worth another couple of quid. But why shouldn't they make a profit on your breakage? Because you could sort of argue that they're making a profit on putting things in the line of where I'm likely to knock them over. Yeah, if it was in a glass cabinet, that wouldn't have happened. Not everyone can protect their business against the Ollie Man effect. <laughs> Surely most of the time they just go, yeah, we, we, we account for breakages yeah. and the cost of the items that we sell. Well, this, this is mm. what happens to me at supermarkets, where admittedly the things that break, say a jar of pickled onions, is only worth a couple of pounds. Yes, yes. And, and I say, don't worry, I'll pay for it. And they go, no, no, don't worry. Here's another one, a c- completely intact. And I always find that quite remarkable customer service. So I'm happy to pay for it, seeing as it was my fault that it broke. See how different we are, Ollie. You know, I'm happy to pay. Which and you think you know, Sainsbury's okay, and I'm Iceland. Gonna, oh, I'm going to go to Sainsbury's and Iceland, willingly go around smashing pickled onions and see what happens. Oh, they still make ketchup in glass bottles, do they? Bah! <laughs> uh, anyway, Lawrence, should you have told the assistant, no, I don't think it's really your job, because what would you gain from actually telling them that that person's gone? It's mm. not like they're in the shop. If you'd have said quietly, look, you might just want to check if that woman's knocked something on the floor yeah but once they've walked out no what's the point yeah you're, you're just looking like a sneak and they're still not getting the culprit yeah you might look actually like you're trying to cover up for yourself having done it yeah that's the worst oh. of all worlds it wasn't me it was a baby honest <laughs> although i can't see a baby now there was one well here's another question about breakages uh, it's from rebecca who says ollie answer me this what was the point of building anderson shelters in world war Two? what i understand that it was for protection during the blitz well that's kind of the point then yep. rebecca <laughs> but they don't look that safe at all that's because they're associated with the blitz Uh, those that are still visible today have been standing since the blitz so give them a break (laughs) can you explain what nonsense shelter is it's one of those uh, curved corrugated metal shelters that people uh put in their gardens they're about six foot long and you would dig about four feet down and put them in the garden and then often you would sleep out there if there was an air aid etc yeah the the point wasn't that they're the safest possible design the point was that at the time when materials were rationed and you were trying to get something out to every household in the country that was a sensible design it wasn't that it's the optimum bomb shelter well she says most appear to have been made of sheet metal and packed dirt how was that ever meant to stand up against a bomb well i think you'll find that because it had a curved roof rather than vulnerable corners it could uh, absorb a lot more energy if there was a nearby bomb blast it was unlikely to be dented into a different shape wasn't it that was the idea mm. and also i suppose it's a much smaller target than a whole house yeah well, but, presumably it's a peripheral damage thing isn't it yeah or were they designed to make people feel better because they were doing something proactive like well, a bit presum- of that like presumably those drills that people of my mother's generation had to do where they went under their school desk with their hands on their heads to withstand a nuclear bomb blast <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
I guess there's partly that, but then who's to say that 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 propagandistic bit of the war effort isn't an important bit of yeah. keeping everyone's spirits up and not making the country go into civil war? Well, also, presumably a lot of people died from just glass breaking in their houses. Anderson yeah. shelters don't have glass that can fly at you and sever your off. I think she's misunderstanding the, um, the effect of a bomb blast. It's not like people got hit in the head by a bomb. It, their, their houses will collapse yeah. or yeah. glass will fly everywhere or they'd be trapped under rubble. And or if you get in, hit by shrapnel or something. Yeah, so if you're in a, pl- a, a little bit away from flying bricks, then that itself makes it a b- bit safer, doesn't it? That was the idea. So, I mean, it was a relatively reliable place to hide, although, of course, I guess more people were saved by going into tube stations and stuff than in these things at the end of their gardens. Well, it was interesting. A lot of people refused to sleep in the Anderson shelters because they're so bloody the horrible. Yeah, well, damp and scary. You yeah. can still hear the bombs and the smell and everything. Well, they're very prone to flooding because they were lower than ground level and they were really cold in winter. So then they invented the Morrison shelter, which was that one that was like a cage that you could also use as a dining table in the day. Yeah. That was designed to withstand the impact of a two-storey house falling on top of it. Wow. Yeah. And and actually, to qualify for one of those, you need an income of less than £350 a year, so you'd still qualify, Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Worth getting in there. Free dining table! I don't know about you, listeners, but sometimes I reach the end of a podcast with... A wanton craving for more. In such moments, I confess, I have recourse to the Answer Me This app on the iPhone and, additionally, in times of dire need, Android, upon which I have indulged in the weekly bonus material and over three hours of best bits. So we're finishing off the show today with a special offer of a question from Michael from Los Angeles, uh, who's written to us uh, attaching a Groupon offer. Well, we're Um, not going to be able to reclaim that if it's for people in the Los Angeles area. That's right. He's not expecting us to do that, even though in America they take scant notice of uh, environmental impact of flying. Yeah, but it's not worth taking the offer if you have to pay 500 quid to get there (laughs) and back. Despite that, he's he's actually sent it to us because he finds it humorous, Helen, not because he intends us to do it. Okay. Um, And uh, the Groupon offer that he sent us... Uh, is a $24 voucher. It's $24 for $105 worth of value. Ooh, very, what very is good value, ratio. really? Yeah. Well, value oh. is what you're willing to pay. Uh, and it's for seven whole-body vibration sessions. Seven uh-huh. whole-body vibration sessions. Isn't that just sitting on the train? That's what my dad has every day because he suffers <laughs> from Parkinson's disease. <laughs> for free! So, uh, Helen, answer me this. What do you think of this Groupon offer? Could there be any credence to it? Um, In other words, could it make you healthy, getting your body vibrated? Well, the whole body vibration thing sounds really creepy. Actually, it's the same as what they call power plate over here, where they say, we've compressed an hour-long workout into ten amazing minutes where you do a lot of demanding positions. We vibrate you so your muscles are doing so much more work. It does sound like a lot of bollocks, doesn't it? Well, it's like those slender tone things. Do you remember those? Those were amazing. So they're like, just sit back and relax in your best underwear while our pads pummel your stomach into incredible tautness. My mum's got this incredible machine, actually, in the shed from the 80s. (laughs) So it works really well then. (laughs) It's called a lawnmower and it will mow your fat. I'm somehow kind of picturing the seat in Burn After Reading. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's not that bad. It's a it's a kind of totemic grey structure right. with um, a sort of seatbelt coming off it. Sounds dodgy. Sound and you attach oh, yourself oh. to it around the seatbelt and lean back and it just shakes your ass. Oh, you can, do, you can turn to... around and it'll do your tummy as well. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm sure that if it gave one a 22-inch waist, then it would not be in the shed. It would be in the middle of the living room. Yeah, being but... Being used every day. It's so obviously a crock of shit that I can't believe that even 25 years ago that wasn't apparent just from the catalogue picture. Well... I think the thing is, they have not actually done any in-depth studies yet into the long-term efficacy of power plate. So it could well be a fad. It's not cardiovascular exercise, and presumably it's also, even if it is vibrating your muscles, it's not necessarily building genuine strength. It sounds plausible as a toning exercise. I I knew a couple of ladies that I used to work with who would do it regularly, and they seem to be well-toned. But you don't know whether they would have had the same amount of toning from standing in the squat position just on a non-vibrating plate yeah i mean what you don't know is whether their toning uh, is a result of their interest in fitness which is indicated by the fact they bought this machine if you know what i mean they, t- they take an interest in their body so they may be doing other things i've worried that they would make me more saggy because there's so much flab in my body that i think me standing on one of these would be like a yogurt in an earthquake <laughs> 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 my flesh would just stretch and stretch and stretch mm. with the motion but actually interesting <laughs> uh, it was invented in the 1960s by the russian scientist vladimir nazarov uh, for cosmonauts because their muscles would waste when they were in space okay so yeah effectively well obviously oh, maybe i mean they don't have a very big sample of astronauts to test it yeah on. And that's different that's as well isn't it that's to, do, that's to do with stimulating cells that aren't getting used because there's no gravity but listeners if any of you are conducting long-term studies into power plates write in and say whether all it does is uh, jiggle your belly like a bowl full of jelly or whether it genuinely can make you into live gorgeous human machine or just send us a question so we can use it in next week's show and our contact details are available on our website answermethispodcast.com where you can also find links to our first three years worth of episodes if you're wondering where they are that's where they are check out our twitter and facebook all the links are on the website too uh, as is the link to martin's uh, science songwriting competition which is still limping on yeah if you're 18 or under send in your science songs before july 13th well i don't know why you're still hanging around here when you should be going into get a writing. music room get writing yes and we'll see you next week bye, bye.